There are 11 warriors. Yes, they are the 11 warriors. The most disciplined and the toughest damn dudes you're ever going to be around. Welcome into Real Pod Wednesdays. Dan Hope joined by Griffin Strom as we hit uh, the very much of a home stretch of the 2022 regular season. Just two weeks to go for Ohio State. Of course, next week, uh, the big game uh, in Columbus as Ohio State uh, looks for revenge against Michigan. And we'll be talking all about that one next week. Uh, this week, Ohio State getting ready to go to Maryland. And we'll talk about that game later in the show, but got to start out by looking back at this past weekend's game against Indiana, Ohio state taking care of business. Despite cold weather and a little bit of snow, Ohio state uh, was able to handle the conditions and their opponent with no problem. And a 56 to 14 win, uh, that was that was quite lopsided in the Buckeyes' favor, and lots of things we can talk about from that game. Uh, but I think we have to start with the last touchdown of the day for Ohio State, that being Cam Babs' touchdown, because certainly that is the moment that everybody is still talking about from Saturday's game, and I think people are going to be talking about for a long time. Because uh, I would certainly say that in my time covering Ohio State. Uh, that was one of the coolest moments I've ever seen with Cam Babb, a, a guy who has gone through so much, uh, four torn ACLs. We really didn't know if we were ever going to see him actually play, actually catch a pass for Ohio State. And he finally got his moment on Saturday. And to see that happen for him and to see the celebration uh, that ensued after that touchdown uh, was pretty damn cool. Yeah, I have to echo all of those sentiments, Dan. I mean, at the end of the day, was it super consequential in terms of the, the final result of the game? No, it was It was already a blowout in the fourth quarter when it happened, but that's really besides the point because if you know Cam Babb's story, it is just so cool that you know his first catch in a Buckeye uniform after all of the injury issues, you know, th- what is it, three full seasons he missed due to, due to ACL tears, four total ACL tears. And like I was talking to some people, uh, whether it be Garrick after the game or, you know, some of my friends about, um, because that, that weren't that familiar with his story and, and, you know, seeing them talk about it on the broadcast during the game and man, just like that, that many injuries. And then especially after, after all the season ending injuries this preseason, it even looked like, you know, there, there was talk that, you know, camp cam's healthy right now. And like, he might actually be, you know, something of a weapon for us in some role on offense um, as far as what the coaches were saying and everything like that. But then he has another setback, Dan, in, in this preseason, and he's been wearing a big, bulky knee brace ever since, um, you know, listed as unavailable. So that's that's kind of why when he wasn't listed as unavailable on Ohio State's status report, um, it kind of flew under the radar at first when we were looking at it. But then I was like, oh, maybe maybe this means Cam Babb's finally going to see some action. It was clear, Dan, also that they they designed that, that play and that circumstance to get him that touch when they did so that he could have that moment um, because – you know, Ryan Day was talking about how it was a magical moment. One of the great accomplishments is what Cam Babb did in coming back from all of those obstacles to have that moment. And you could kind of feel it coming. Like, I think I said to you before the game, like, I, I have a feeling like it's going to happen today. Like, you just kind of got that sense. Like, this is the first time and uh, I mean, first time I can honestly even really remember. I mean, I, he, did pl- he did play in 2020. That was obviously a weird year. He never actually got a chance to catch a pass that year, but... You know, just to see him like going through warmups, like that's something we really hadn't seen from Cam Babb just because he's been 
injured every year. So just to see him going through warmups and being out there playing, and I mean, certainly you can tell that, you know, this is not a guy physically who's the same player he was five years ago when he was being recruited. I mean, when he was being recruited, I mean, he, again, I mean, it's a guy, he was a higher ranked recruit than Chris Olave in his class. He was, he was a higher ranked recruit than Marvin Harrison Jr. was. And I mean, this is a guy who it's become this feel good story, but you know, it's not what it was expected to be for Cam Babb. This was a guy who certainly had, you know, I, I say past tense. I mean, we, we, we don't we don't know what could still come for Cam Bab. I mean, he still has another year of eligibility that he could use. He could, you know, still end up making an impact for Ohio State beyond what we've seen so far. I certainly don't rule that out. But, you know, it, it's obvious that, you know, this is a guy who has had, you know, a lot of issues of injury. I mean, seeing him out there, I mean, I, I think I remarked to you, I mean, it, I don't think I've ever seen a wide receiver playing in a brace like that. It, it looked like more something like an offensive lineman would wear. And so, you know, certainly there are, physical limitations there and to what he's able to do. And, you know, I think Ryan Day kind of insinuated that when he was asked about Cam Babb on Tuesday that, you know, could he have a bigger role going forward? It's it's really going to depend on what he's able to do physically. And they, they just don't know that because of all the setbacks that he's had. But for him to be able to have that moment, and I think, you know, more importantly than the catch itself, I think was just the, the way the team reacted to that moment, the, the celebration that we saw among the team, you could see how much it meant not only to Cam Babb himself, but to the entire team to, that he finally got to have that moment that he has worked so hard for. And I think it really was, we, we hear so much talk about the brotherhood of this team and you, you, you hear that. It's easier to say that than it is to actually show it. But they showed it on Saturday. That, that I think, was the epitome of what they talk about with brotherhood, was just seeing the way the team came together and how genuinely happy and emotional everybody was to see Cam Babb have that moment that he has worked so hard for. Yeah, and he's a captain for a reason, right? I mean, you know, the leadership that he's shown and, and just the example that he's shown as well of, of everything you can overcome in a situation like that. And I, I believe after the game, C.J. Stroud said, you know, everyone that's been in the program from from Chase Young to Justin Fields, everyone on the current roster has been affected by Cam Babb. Um, Cam Babb also, you know, a deeply religious guy as well and, you know, kind of bonds with a lot of the guys, Stroud included, um, on on that type of stuff. So, Got to hear some some inspiring words after the game from Cam Babb and CJ Stroud about that moment. Obviously, Ryan Day spoke in detail about it as well. Um, but Dan, you know, kind of aside from that, that was you know part of a, of a big day for the Ohio State offense, which was pretty kind of needed coming off of the heels of that Northwestern game. Obviously, we talked so much about how the weather influenced that one and what Ohio State was able to do, particularly with the pass. Um, but even beyond that Northwestern game, it was the the third straight slow start for House the Ohio State offense against the Wildcats. Um, in this one, they did go three and out on their opening possession, Dan. But after that, three touchdowns in a row, four, four touchdowns in their next five possessions there after the first drive. Ohio State finishes, you know, with uh, 662 total yards. It was a particularly big day on the ground, Dan. That was, you know, obviously a huge talking point for Ohio State with the ground struggles uh, since the bye week, really. And, you know, coming into the game, there was no Travion Henderson, no trip Chip Tranum. So it was going to be the Mayan Williams show. And it really was that early on. Ohio State finishes with uh, 340 yards on the ground, three scores. But, Dan, that, that wasn't really 
the, the, the entire story because, of course, Mayan Williams ends up suffering an injury himself in the second quarter, being carted off the field, which, you know, is never a great sign. And with us not really knowing what's going on, you know, at least fully in terms of the coaches actually talking about what's going on with Trayvon Henderson and Chip Tranum, um, it, it left a lot of, of questions, you know, at that moment. It went from suddenly, oh, Ohio State's having this big bounce back performance on the ground to suddenly, wow, the, the depth is really starting to dwindle here in, at running back. Yeah, without a doubt, if we're going to talk about the biggest concern coming out of that game, it's the health of the running back room. Because, I mean, we we were talking about it in the press box on Saturday. I mean, I, I remember after the spring game writing the story about how Ohio State could have a free, free-headed monster at running back with Travion Henderson, Mayan Williams, and Evan Pryor. And in the second half of that game, they didn't have any of those guys. You know, I, you know I'm not going to get into necessarily guessing why, you know, they've had you know, all these injuries at running back, I think a lot of it is just pure bad luck. I mean, injuries happen in football and they've just happened at that one position to to have, you know, repeated injuries uh, this year. But, you know, I think without a doubt, you know, especially when you start thinking ahead to next week against Michigan and how important a run game is going to be in that game, uh, that's uh, certainly the big concern right now. Now, the good news is, if as long as you believe Ryan Day, which I know there's, I know, some people out there are, are conditioned just not to believe anything Ryan Day says about injuries anymore because not everything he said has always come to pass on Saturdays. But he did say in pretty strong terms on Tuesday that he would be, quote, shocked if all three of those running backs, those being Mayan Williams, Travion Henderson, and Chip Trainum, were all unavailable against Maryland. He said he thinks he'll have two of a three. Uh, that, my guess, would be Travion Henderson and Chip Trainum. I mean, Mayan's injury certainly looked serious enough that – you know, he's probably going to miss at least a week. You know, Ryan Day, the way he t- the way he's talked about Mayan's injury doesn't make it sound like it's maybe as bad as it looked initially, where, you know, it seems like there's at least hope that he could be back for that Michigan game. But we're just going to have to see. I mean, it's kind of been the theme of a the season at that position, right? Where it's it's kind of been a week-to-week thing. Like, you know, I, I, I think I remember last week somebody sent me a tweet in the morning and they said, so which running back is going to be on the status report today? And it ended up being two running backs. Uh, well, not even including Evan Pryor, but or TC Caffey, who's also out for the season, but Travion Henderson and Chip Traynham. So it's, I mean, it's been a recurring theme. I mean, this team really, since really the first week or two of a season has not been at full strength at running back. And so uh, it's just something they have to, they have to deal with, continue to work through. You know, there were, you know, there were, positive signs towards the depth and that, you know, Dallin Hayden had another good performance, ran for 102 yards and a touchdown, 19 carries. Now, do they want Dallin Hayden to be their number one running back? I, I certainly don't think so, considering they were, you know, pretty hesitant to give him first team reps until this past week. And so certainly uh, they don't want to be, you know, next week against Michigan, they certainly don't want to be relying on Dallin Hayden uh, to be their number one running back. But, you know, every time he's gotten in the game, he has shown something. And so I think that's a positive sign, you know, just in terms of what he can provide for depth as needed. And then the guy we got to talk about is Xavier Johnson. Cause I think, I think Xavier Johnson got a little bit overshadowed on Saturday because of Cam Babb and not that Cam Babb doesn't deserve all of the love that he's gotten. But I also think Xavier Johnson maybe didn't get as much love as he deserved coming out of that game because of that. I mean, this is a guy who started his career as a walk-on and you know, he's the guy he's played wide receiver for most of a the year. They move him to running back his one carry of the game. He has 
what I would say was the best run we've seen all season from an Ohio State player as he made uh, at least four defenders miss on a 71-yard touchdown run. He also had two catches out of the backfield that went for a combined 47 yards. So this guy on three total touches had 118 yards. And I think, you know, this, you know, we talk about feel-good stories. You know, I think Xavier Johnson's been another one of those guys. I think certainly what he did against Notre Dame was a, you know, a feel-good kind of story. But this guy's more than just a feel-good story. Like, this guy can actually be a real weapon for Ohio State down the stretch. And, you know, I remember having a conversation with another one of the writers in the press box before the game about how Ohio State really hasn't thrown the ball to the running backs that much this year. And I think I think part of that is because I just don't think that's Travion Henderson and Mayan Williams' strength. Like, I think they can do it, but I don't think catching passes is either their strength. I think if Evan Pryor had been healthy, we probably would have seen a little bit more of that with Pryor. But Xavier Johnson, he I mean, he looked great doing that. I'm intrigued to see what Xavier Johnson can continue to do this season again they don't want Xavier Johnson to be their number one running back. They don't even want him to be their number two running back. They want Travion and Mayan to be the guys handling most of a workload. But I think Xavier showed that he can be a real weapon for them. This isn't just a guy who's, you know, good for a walk-on. Like, this is a guy who's a legit player who who, who I think can, can really help them in at least a situational role down the stretch of a season. Yeah, Dan, when I, when I wrote that like biggest surprises halfway through the season piece, I mean, you know, during the bye week, uh, obviously Xavier Johnson was on there with his big go-ahead touchdown against Notre Dame in the season opener just because, you know, no one was expecting that. No matter how good he, he looked in the preseason or, you know, any of his teammates or coaches talking about him, no one expected that. And I wrote at the time, like, if that ends up being, you know, Xavier Johnson's one big highlight in, at Ohio State, then, you know, that's absolutely nothing to scoff at at all. And he's gone to, you know, to, to kind of shut that that notion down uh, with that huge run that he just had and a few of those big plays, you know, out of the backfield, like you said. And it'll be interesting to see if, if Ohio State has to use him more or, or just wants to use him more in general to, even if a couple of those other guys do come back healthy, if they say, hey, this guy's shown us an ability to make plays, you know, at the second level um, at this point and, and let's give him a, the ball you know, put the ball in his hands some more times going forward. Uh, we should also mention, Dan, that, you know, Mitch Rossi got a carry. We've seen him get a couple of carries this season. But um, if, if you're thinking about a, a game plan for Ohio State without, you know, three of their, t- their their top four running backs, including prior at this point, you know, f- even more than that. But um, you would certainly think it would it would include Dallin, ha- Dallin Hayden, uh, Xavier Johnson, and Mitch Rossi. But like you said, you know, some guys potentially going to be coming back here against Maryland. But Dan... Some of our listeners would like to know if there, if there was an 11 word. Because then, okay, when we were in the press box on Saturday, we're really thinking because there was a point when Dallin Hayden, you know, limped off of the, the field to start the fourth quarter and he was on the stationary bike. And we're thinking, man, what if what if Hayden's injured? What if he's out too now? Who are they going to put in the game? So we're kind of listing off some walk-on guys and things like that. And then it dawns on us that we might have a, a, a staff member that, that would be perfect for the assignment. You know, if Ryan Day ever needed to, to call somebody up, uh, you know, off of the sidelines. Yeah, I mean, I mean, we were. I mean, I was thinking, like, are they going to have to have open walk-on tryouts for running backs? Uh, I, you know, I uh, I texted uh, James Grega, who uh, used to work at 11 Warriors. He's now a coach of a club football team. And I asked him, I said, hey, do you, you guys have any running backs if they can call up? And uh, apparently they're dealing with injuries, too. But they did just win their conference championship uh, this past weekend. So congrats to those guys as they go for their third straight a national championship at the club level. But to get back to the question, we were asked by Orca, 
which 11 Warriors staff member would be most suited to play running back in case of emergency? And, and I mean, I had to give this question some serious thoughts. This is a, this is a, this is a, this is a good question because I think there's two, two really good answers. I mean, we work with Chase Brown. I mean, this guy, <laughs> I know he at least was the leading rusher in the country, might still be the leader in the country. It's the obvious answer, right? Like, we work with Chase Brown. Like, uh, this guy's got to be the answer. But, man, Garrick Hodge, I mean, that, I mean, that guy was on fire. I mean, if, if you haven't seen the photos from Saturday's game, go look at them because uh, Garrick just absolutely crushed it on Saturday. He had a, a, a very viral photo of Marvin Harrison Jr.'s catch, which we'll talk about Marvin in a couple minutes. An absurd catch in, in the photo is just unbelievable if you haven't seen it of how he somehow – uh, kept his foot in bounds while his body was going the complete opposite direction. Uh, but Garrick, it was uh, it was the first snow game of the year, which meant Garrick was wearing his uh, famous uh, Skidoo snowmobile jacket. And, and, and that thing just gives him powers, man. Like when he puts that jacket on, uh, he, he just seems to have superpowers. So I know you tweeted during the game, hashtag give the ball to Hodge. Hey, I'll have to correct you there. Hand the ball to Hodge. Hand please, the Dan, ball please. to Hodge. So, I mean, I mean, you know, I, I think I think Garrick, I think Garrick can get in there and you know give a few carries if we need him. I, I don't think it's either of us. I mean, I I think I'd probably get snapped like a twig. And I, <laughs> I, I I've heard you use the phrase to describe yourself as having brittle bones before. So yeah, that's a fact. I, I I think both of us would be near the bottom of the list. But yeah, let's let's get let's get Garrick and Chase out there, get them ready just in case. Uh, Ohio State needs a running back to go in the game. Yeah, I think that sounds like a good plan to me, Dan. I'd, uh, hopefully, you know, for Ohio State's sake, they won't have to, to dip that low in the, the emergency plan, uh, you know, in uh, game plans there. But, you know, if they need one, <laughs> Garrick Hodge is putting his hand up there. Dan, uh, Bull1214 asks, and I know you were talking about this the other day in uh, yeah, our work Slack channel, have the running back injuries affected the running back recruiting plan at all going forward, Dan? Do you think? I mean, I think it maybe should because, I mean, I, I just saw – a couple hours before you're recording this, that, that Mark Fletcher is apparently taking some visits down in Florida. And, I, you know, I think Ohio State still feels good about uh, their chances of signing Mark Fletcher. But if I was Ohio State right now, if I was Tony Alford, I, I would be giving serious thought to trying to bring a second running back into this class. Because you, know, you looked at the roster going into this year, they were a little bit shorthanded at running back compared to where they'd like to be. Part of that was because of Marcus Crowley, uh, medically retiring due to uh, his injuries. But I mean, on paper, you look at, it, okay, like Travion, Mayan, Evan Pryor, Dallin Hayden, they probably should all be back next year. You know, not sure whether Chip Trainum will stay at running back or move back to linebacker. Like on paper, they have all those guys. And when you add Mark Fletcher, like they, they shouldn't need another running back. But to me, seeing this, if I was Ohio State, I'd probably be thinking about like, okay, is there another running back? You know, maybe somebody who's in state, that, you know, we, we can go out and get just to bolster our depth at running back a little bit. There, there hasn't seemed to be any movement on that front, and so I'm not predicting that it will happen. But, it, you know, I, I think if I was in Ohio State's shoes right now, it, it's maybe something I would consider just based on the way things have gone. Yeah, and then, like we said, you know, it's, it still was a very productive day on the ground for Ohio State, and, you know, you can chalk that up to the depth of running back or, you know, offensive line play improved there, maybe the opponent against Indiana as well, all of those but short yardage was still kind of an issue for Ohio State. Obviously, that had been one of the the, the main issues with the run game. Um, Dan, you noted here Ohio State two for seven on third and fourth of less than two yards versus Indiana, and there were six runs 
and one pass in those situations. Ryan Day was asked about that after the game, and he said he was he was being a little, you know, maybe a little stubborn with the play calling there, really wanting his team to to just break through in that area and really convert on some of those downs with the run. Um, so perhaps that's why there was, you know, so many runs uh, called in terms of the play calling there. And uh, North Bay Buck also asked us, Dan, if it's third and one on the first drive of the game against Michigan, does Ohio State pass the ball? I think it's a great question. I'd be inclined to lean toward yes, because, you know, what you said that I think Day was being stubborn about running the ball in those situations because he knew that Ohio State needed, needs to get better in those situations and he knew that he could work through things against Indiana. Uh, against Michigan, there's going to be no time to work through things. They're going to, if they're in that situation against Michigan, they have to do whatever they think gives them the best chance uh, to convert. And I think based on what we've seen right now, you would think that passing the ball gives Ohio State the best chance to convert in those situations. Now, you know, that doesn't mean, you know, if you end up in six third and ones against Michigan, I don't think you're going to see Ohio State pass the ball six times. I think they're going to have to be able to run the ball in those situations. And it's something very, I think they will continue to work on this week against Maryland when they get the opportunity to do so. But I certainly think there's going to be short yardage pass plays in the game plan for Michigan. You know, whether that be off play action, whether there be some kind of creative looks there. I, I, I think Based on what we've seen in the second half of the season, Ohio State can't go into that game right now and, and say, we're just going to try to run it off the gut because it, it just it just hasn't been working well enough for, for Ohio State to, to do that right now. So that doesn't mean they won't do it at all, but I think there's going to be some change-ups in there. I mean, we talked about it last week. I, I think there's probably going to be some C.J. Stroud running plays in the playbook there too. I mean, I would guess, you know, I, I mean – Certainly, we know next week's game, whatever Ohio State's been holding back, the holding back's going to stop next week. Next week's the week that you're going to throw a kitchen sink at, at Michigan because obviously it, it's the most important game of the year uh, by far. And Ohio State has to win that one to have a chance to, not only to achieve its first goal, but also to have a chance to achieve the second and third goals, which we'll get into a little bit later. So, yeah, I mean, I think Ohio State's going to do whatever it has to do to win next week. And I think that likely means that in those short yardage situations, I'm not going to say we're not going to see any traditional runs, but I certainly think we're going to see some change-ups there uh, that Ohio State thinks will, will work maybe more effectively than the traditional run has been working in those situations. And you, you did mention there Stroud in the passing game for Ohio State as well. Stroud, of course, finishing the Indiana game with five touchdown passes, 297 yards. Of course, you'll remember against Northwestern, he did not have a touchdown at all. So in terms of his you know, numbers and Heisman stock and everything like that, I think he's now tied with uh, North Carolina's Drake May for the FBS lead in touchdown passes with uh, 34, I believe it is. Um, so he's you know still right up there, even after a week in which he throws no touchdown passes, you know, rebounds this week to you know keep himself in the mix there for sure, especially with Ohio State's team success. But really, Marvin Harrison, Dan, just continues to make just ridiculous, absurd catches every single week. And, you know, maybe the, the first couple of weeks you, you could, you could have argued maybe, the, maybe it's a fluke. Maybe it's, I don't mean, I didn't think so, but you could have argued that at the time after this far into the season, seeing how consistently Marvin Harrison has made some of these absurd plays. You mentioned Garrick's viral photo. I mean, that was, 
the, that, that sideline grab like you were talking about. I mean, Ryan Day called it unbelievable on the radio yesterday. Um, he had no words for it. And he, I think he said he would have been in the hospital for, for days if he tried to, to do a maneuver like that. So you saw the, the flexibility there from Marvin Harrison, the body control, all of that just ridiculous. Uh, seven catches for 135 yards, uh, a touchdown. It was that, that 58-yard touchdown, right, was his, the biggest play of the game um, for Harrison. And yeah, Dan, I mean, uh, Minbuck asked us here, if, if, the, if the Heisman didn't weigh the quarterback position, would Harrison be Ohio State's finalist over Stroud? Which I think is an interesting question because on the site the other day, the, our, our poll question was, who's the MVP of the season so far for Ohio State? And I believe most people chose uh, Harrison over, over Stroud and everyone else. Yeah, and I think if you were just going to say who has been Ohio State's best player of a season, my vote would go to Marvin Harrison Jr. I mean, he, he's been phenomenal. Um, and, and I think... You know, you, you could definitely see this, you know, groundswell of movement toward, you know, him being the best receiver in the country. I think it's going to be a, a very interesting uh, Bolitnikoff Award decision between him and Jalen Hyatt for Tennessee, because I think you could make a strong case for both of them. But, you know, he certainly put himself in position to where I think he's going to be getting a tree in Buckeye Grove uh, as an All-American. And I think you could absolutely make the case that Marvin Harrison Jr., is the Buckeye player who should win the Heisman Trophy. Now, I think C.J. Stroud is the one who realistically has the chance at winning the Heisman Trophy. But, you know, you know, I think if Marvin goes off against Michigan, could could he get an invite to New York as a finalist? I think that's absolutely possible. I, I, I don't think it's likely he'll win the Heisman, but I, I think it's not out of a question that if he finishes the season really strong here, that he could earn an invitation to the Heisman ceremony. And so he he's had a phenomenal season. You know, I think, you know, going into the year, we all thought, you know, Jackson Smith and Jigba was the one who had a chance to have this historic season. And obviously, you know, injuries have prevented that from being the case, but Marvin has, has picked up that mantle to where he's now the one having this really historic season. I mean, he's only 30 something yards away from a thousand. And so he's likely going to hit that milestone next week or this week, I should say. And I mean, he, I mean, he's having uh, already one of the best seasons we've ever seen from an Ohio State wide receiver, which seems like a comment we've made a, a lot in the last few years. And that just shows how high of a standard of that room has gotten. But, you know, it, it's getting to the point now where it's like, man, Chris Olave is damn good. Garrett Wilson's damn good. Jackson Smith and Jigba's damn good. But I think this guy's even better. Oh, yeah. I, it's just absurd. I mean, just the things he does out there um, in, in a lot of different areas as well. And then another guy that was making big plays for the Ohio State passing game on Saturday was the one and only Farmer Gronk, Cade Stover, catching, I believe, his fourth and fifth touchdown passes of the season. I'm um, finishing with, what did he have there, Daniel? <laughs> he had three three uh, receptions for 45 yards and two touchdowns, a 32-yard pass play in there as well. Um, and he ends up, Dan, pretty cool that to see Cade Stover's name on the list of semifinalists for the John Mackey Award, of course, given to the, the top tight end in the nation. Um, and that's just something that I do not think that any of us would have predicted coming into this season at all. I mean, still a guy that maybe was going to, maybe his future was going to be a linebacker at the end of last season. And for him to be a Mackey Award semifinalist, um, pretty darn cool. Um, Dan, another guy on offense that had to step up on Saturday. Um, Dewan Jones was out for the first time all season at right tackle. Josh Fryer steps in there, and uh, especially in the run blocking department and everything like that, had, had a very nice game, um, graded out as a champion, I believe, according to Ryan Day on Tuesday. Um, and I know a lot of fans are, are, are going to be sitting there and talking about 
you know, should Ohio State go, keep Fryer in there just when you consider the struggles that the Ohio State offensive line was having prior to that game. But Dan, what, what are your your thoughts and sentiments on that? Yeah, I think, I mean, I saw a, a thread in the 11 Warriors forum this week about uh, has Josh Fryer's quote, Wally pipped Dewan Jones. And I, I think that's a little bit ridiculous. I mean, I mean, I think Dewan has been Ohio State's best offensive lineman this year. Like the, the offensive line as a whole maybe hasn't quite lived up to expectations, but I think Dewan has played really well, you know, especially as a pass protector. I think he's been really strong. And, you know, I don't think Indiana was a particularly tough test uh, in pass protection. And so I, I think Josh Fryer played great given the circumstances. And I think for the future of Ohio State's offensive line, it's a great sign to see Josh Fryer go in there and play as well as he did because I know when I think ahead to next year, probably the number one position of question for me would be offensive tackle if, if Paris and Dewan both go to the NFL, as we expect. And, and they're really going to need a couple guys to step up there. And I think Fryer playing as well as he did in that role on Saturday gives you more confidence about his future as a potential starting offensive tackle at Ohio State. So I think that was great to see. I mean, certainly great just for the purposes of providing more depth for this year. But Dewan Jones is going to keep his starting job. I don't I don't think there's really any question about that, that Dewan Jones is going to return to the starting lineup at right tackle as long as he is healthy this week. And Dan, on defense, you know, there continues to be kind of less and less questions about the Ohio State defense. Of course, they, they haven't always played these top flight offenses, but really another standout performance by the Ohio State defense, uh, just 14 points given up to Indiana, um, 269 yards overall, just 119 yards through the air. Um, Indiana did rush decently there with, with 150 yards, um, but but Lathan Ransom with another standout performance as he you know keeps going after that, that Thorpe Award, there at safety for the Buckeyes, nine tackles, one and a half sacks, a PBU, and that big blocked punt on special teams as well. I mean, that's a guy that just, you know, talk about a guy like Cade Stover, a guy that coming into the season, you, you your, your expectations there aren't all that high of expectations just because of how their season ended and everything like that last year. But um, he's a guy that continues to look like one of the absolute best players in the Ohio State defense. Yeah, I mean, huge game for, for Leif and Ransom to have nine tackles, one and a half sacks, uh, pass breakup, and the biggest play, a, a blocked punt, the first blocked punt Ohio State has had in three years. So, you know, this is a guy that, yeah, I mean, I, I don't think any of us went into the year thinking that he was going to be a semifinalist for the Jim Forp Award, but he has uh, certainly established himself as uh, a star player on Ohio State's defense. I, I continue to think that the probably the most underappreciated player on Ohio State is Ronnie Hickman because I I think Ronnie Hickman has been excellent. I think he just hasn't, you know, I think this defensive scheme compared to what they were doing last year, Hickman just isn't, the plays aren't being filtered to Hickman. I mean, a lot of it had to do with the linebackers playing poorly last year too, but I, I think Hickman, you know, in his current role, it, it, he's, you know, plays aren't filtered to him as much to where he gets as many stats in the box score. And so he's not, you know, a household name on this defense compared to a Tommy Eichenberg or what a Leif and Ransom is becoming. But I, I feel like Hickman is almost the Jordan Fuller of this defense from a few years ago where, you know, Chase Young and Jeff Okuda, you know, they, they got all the headlines. But Fuller was just rock solid back there at that free safety role. And I think Hickman provides a very similar presence for this defense. And I think coupling what he, the stability he provides 
with the playmaking ability we're seeing from Leif and Ransom is now giving Ohio State a really elite duo of safeties back there. Yeah, and the secondary in general looked pretty good um, against Indiana as well. Cameron Brown and Jordan Hancock getting the the start um, at cornerback because Dan Denzel Burke obviously did not play in that one. It, it did sound like after the game that, that Ryan Day expected Denzel Burke, Dewan Jones, you know, some of those running backs to, to all be back for Ohio State next week. But he also said that a lot of guys were playing banged up still, and you have to wonder if guys like you know Cameron Brown and, and Jordan Hancock are among those guys because they've dealt with injury issues all season. Um, but yeah, uh, Jair Brown, the, the true freshman, playing more than J.K. Johnson in that game. You have to wonder if you know Ohio State's kind of seen what they've gotten from J.K. Johnson this year. He has gotten a lot of opportunities out there for the Buckeyes, and and are kind of wanting to see now if Brown can come on strong or if they you know just just like what they're seeing more from him. Um, I know Ty Hamilton's a guy that, that got asked about quite a bit in Tuesday's press conference with both Ryan Day and Jim Knowles. Knowles citing the, the fact that Mike Hall has really been going through injury issues. Obviously, remember, he suffered that, that shoulder injury early in the year, and it's cost him some time. Um, but Ty Hamilton's been getting the start in, instead of Hall the, the last couple of games and um, has really been been playing his best football. Um, and, and it sounds like, from what Ryan Day said, Dan, that, that he'll continue to start moving forward. Yeah, it's the way it sounds. It sounds like both Ryan Day and Jim Knowles are really happy with what they've seen from Ty Hamilton. And I think I think Ty Hamilton's played well. You know, I think, you know, for a lot of fans, it's you know, it's like why why isn't Mike Hall playing more? Because Hall, you know, made such a big impact in the first half of the year. We haven't really seen that from him in the second half. You know, again, it's you know, it certainly sounds like one of those situations where, you know, he's dealing with, you know, perhaps multiple injuries that we don't you know, we knew he was dealing with a shoulder injury. Perhaps there's more going on there. And, and he's just not, you know, right now able to play or, you know, I shouldn't say able necessarily, but they just don't necessarily want him playing a, you know, full complement of snaps right now. So we'll see, you know, I think, you know, again, a lot of these times we talk about playing time, like the real question is going to be, okay, next week against Michigan, who are the guys that are out there playing the most snaps? Those are the guys that, that that's when you're really going to know who they think the best players are is who's out there playing against Michigan because you know a lot of these games they have the, the luxury of being able to rotate a lot and experiment with different things but in that Michigan game you're going to put the players on the field who you think give you the best chance to win obviously health is going to be a factor in that but in terms of guys who are healthy enough to play you're going to put the guys out there who give you the best chance to win. And so, you know, it'll be interesting to see at positions like, you know, defensive tackle and corner, you know, what exactly that looks like. But, you know, going back to the corners, you know, assuming Denzel Burke's injury isn't anything major, which it didn't seem to be because he went through the initial warmups on uh, Saturday against Indiana, you know, assuming he is okay to come back this week and you know he's able to play at the same level we've seen from him in the second half of a season and then seeing Cameron Brown back in there and seeing Jordan Hancock you know playing a full game now I think I feel better about the cornerbacks probably than I have all year because it seems like okay this is about as healthy as they've been at corner and you know it seems like okay Burks found his groove you know that Cam Brown I think had his best game of a season there you know, Hancock's been solid. You know, like you said, I mean, I think I think JK has been, you know, pretty inconsistent out there. And so it kind of seems like, you know, other guys are, you know, starting to pass him on the depth chart. I mean, I think Jair Brown has played really well when he's been out there the last couple of weeks. You know, Jim Knowles said that last week uh, when he, you know, when J- Jair Brown came up in the press conference. So, you know, I, I think their, their depth there is looking stronger than it's been. Now, again, 
there haven't been a ton of tests for these corners. I mean, the biggest test really was Penn State, and and they weren't great against Penn State. Uh, this upcoming game against Maryland could be a bit more of a test, but Maryland has also passed for 151 total yards in their last two games. So uh, Maryland with a banged up uh, Talia Tagovailoa not looking like uh, quite the test for the pass defense that I thought it would be earlier in the year. Uh, still, I think a bigger test than Indiana and Northwestern and Iowa, but, you know, still, you know, I mean, you know, it's it's like we've kind of talked about it all year, like when's the real test going to come for this pass defense? You know, Maryland's pass defense has been, uh, Maryland's passing offense has struggled recently and so is Michigan's. And so it's like, I, I think the next two weeks will be tougher tests for the past defense than most games have been this year, but I still don't know if they're going to be like overwhelming tests. Yeah. We got to shout out a couple more guys as well. Um, you know, in terms of the Ohio state defense, Tommy Eichenberg just continues to have a sensational season and his season stat line now, 92 tack total tackles, 11 tackles for loss. He had three of those against Indiana this past weekend, two and a half sacks an interception. That one was returned for a touchdown two pra- pass breakups as well. I mean, that's just, an absurd stat line right now. It's an All-American. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what you've been saying, Dan. Is that is that how you feel? Is that how you feel? It is how I feel. I think Tommy Eichenberg is going to be an All-American as long as he keeps this up for the next few weeks. 30 more tackles than the next best Buckeye Steel Chambers has 62. Tommy Eichenberg with 92. Another stellar performance for Eichenberg. Jack Sawyer as well, Dan. I know there was some people that were starting to kind of grumble a little bit um, about Jack Sawyer's contributions, especially when you see a guy like JT doing what he was doing um, in that Penn State game and, and, and things like that. Um, Jack Sawyer, I think it was a, a five-game streak without a sack for Jack Sawyer before this past Saturday. Um, he ends up with a, a sack and a half against Indiana. That was a good sign for him as, you know, he was starting to get, w- with the performances from Tui Moloau and, and Zach Harrison both really showing their strengths, even JJB having some standout moments this year. You know, Jack, it was good for Jack Sawyer, I think, in his confidence heading into the, the latter half of the season to show that he can still be a contributor at defensive end. Um, and, and then it was it was interesting as well to hear Jim Knowles' comments about Sawyer um, on Tuesday, kind of saying that he wishes Sawyer would play a little more recklessly and and really just turn himself loose kind of in that Jack role. And um, it, it, he kind of made it seem like some of that's on the coaching and, and not piling too much on Jack Sawyer. And, you know, some of it might just be Sawyer's tendencies in general. But yeah, Dan, I, I know, what was it? Duke of Weimar here asked us, what happened to the Jack position? It hasn't been that much of a, of a hybrid um, defensive end linebacker position. Um, is it just because our, our defensive ends are so good at being defensive ends? I mean, Dan, what have you seen on, upon kind of rewatching film and, and stuff like that of those guys and how much, how much Jack has actually been on the field? I guess I'm. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's been out there, but not a ton. And I, I mean, I think a lot of it does. I have to do with a fact that, you know, I think, a pecking order certainly has started to emerge at that defensive end position where, you know, Zach Harrison and JT are the top two guys and they're both traditional defensive ends. And so I think Jack Sawyer's, you know, kind of, he's kind of solidified himself as that number three defensive end. We've seen, you know, Javante Jean-Baptiste snaps the last couple of weeks have decreased from where they were early in the year. And so, you know, I think JT and Zach are going to be the guys, especially in these really big games at the end of the year, that they're going to get the majority of snaps at defensive end. Now, the thing we have seen more in recent weeks is when they put Jack Sawyer as that Jack linebacker on the field, Zach Harrison and JT are also often both on the field too. They typically, early in the year, they were using Mike Hall a lot as that third defensive lineman in, in the Jack package. 
Recently, it's been Zach Harrison and JT as the defensive ends with Teron Vincent as the nose tackle and then Jack Sawyer as that Jack linebacker. So I, I think that is a package that they like to use situationally. Again, could we see more of it in the home stretch of the season when they're really looking for, you know, change-ups to try to uh, take better offenses out of their games? I think we certainly could. Uh, but I think a lot of it is the fact that I think you know, Zach and JT have both played really well as traditional defensive ends, along with the fact that, you know, I think Teron Vincent and Ty Hamilton, Mike Hall, Tyleek Williams, I think they've got a good group of defensive tackles in there as well. And so I think the Jack position, you know, to some degree, I think maybe just haven't needed it as much as maybe Jim Knowles needed it at Oklahoma State. I still think it's certainly possible, but we could see it utilized more as the season progresses. But you know, I also think like Zach and JT have both played well enough where it's getting becoming tougher to take them off the field, you know, because they're doing as well as they are as defensive ends, you know, particularly against the run, because, you know, Jim Knowles had said a lot of that with the Jack position was created to stop the run. And I think right now, you know, their two best run stopping edge players are certainly Zach Harrison and JT Tuimolowal. And so I, I think they're just haven't needed the Jack package as much as maybe they anticipated coming into the year. Doesn't mean that it couldn't uh, increase in usage down the stretch, but I, I think it's, I think right now it's more of a change up than it is a defining factor of his defense. Dan, let, let's dig into Maryland a little bit more here. Ohio State going on the road for the final time in the regular season. Then the last time Ohio State went on the road against Maryland, uh, I think a lot of you will remember the what was it, 52 to 51 overtime game there in College Park? Dwayne Haskins having to rush for what was it, three three rushing touchdowns in that game. Um, Ryan Day talked a little bit about that. Certainly, we we aren't expecting a game that will be that close. It's, it's interesting also because that one was also the penultimate game of the regular season, the game before Michigan for Ohio State. So there's a lot of questions this week about you know Ohio State staying focused on Maryland despite the looming threat of an undefeated Michigan team, um, you know, staring right at it, you know, in the rankings, just one spot lower in the CFP rankings, everything like that. Maryland, like you said, they, they actually got off to a, a really nice start this season, Dan, six and two through the first eight games, uh, which was the the earliest Maryland had been bowl eligible since 2001 was a, a stat that I came across in my my, my research on Maryland this week. But the, the past two weeks, Dan, well, they're, they're two worst performances of the season, really, because like you mentioned earlier, they only put up 10 points. I think they failed to crack 200 yards of offense in both of those games. I want to say um, Talia only had, did he have less than less than 100 yards passing? Yeah, I think, 77 against Wisconsin, 74 against Penn State. Yeah, 76 and 74 passing yards in, in back-to-back games. And that is because, or, or, or at least one would surmise that some of his struggles since returning to action are because He's still kind of dealing with that. I believe it's an MCL sprain issue, which he initially suffered, I believe, at Michigan, ended up tweaking it and being carted off the field against Indiana. Then I believe missed the next game. Then it was the bye week. Then he's come back for the last two weeks and not been the same player, Dan. And and with that has been a Maryland team that, that simply has not looked nearly as good. Yeah, I mean, Maryland's offensive line has not played well, which is certainly a factor. And 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 their receivers, you know, I... You know, I think talent-wise, I'd say that their receivers are probably the second-best group in the Big Ten behind Ohio State. But they haven't really been dominant this year of a way that, you know, they, they haven't had the kind of huge games that I thought maybe they'd be capable of having, you know, particularly against, you know, lesser opponents. And so, you know, like, like I said, I mean, 
you know, I've, I've talked, we've talked about this game all year. I mean, I've, I, this has been a game all year, but I kind of always had a weird feeling about, and a lot of it goes back to that 2018 game because it's very, very similar scenario or that was the week before the Michigan game. And you just like, if you're looking for a trap game, like this is for one to me, it's like that you circle, but the last two weeks have certainly made me think Maryland is less than a threat than I would have said they were a couple weeks ago, because I mean, Maryland's offense has been awful the last two weeks. I mean, awful. They're going to really have to find something on offense this week if they're going to be able to give Ohio State a, a real test. And I mean, you know, Maryland's defense is is not been horrible, but it's not. It's it's certainly not a defense that you would think is going to be capable of of really slowing down Ohio State's offense, particularly in the passing game. You know, I, I would certainly say that. The weird feeling I felt about this game, I don't feel it quite as much actually going into the game because Maryland is is trending in the wrong direction right now. And I mean, that's been a very consistent pattern with this Maryland team. I, 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 lo- I looked up the numbers on Monday. Maryland has won only two games in the month of November since 2017. And one of those came in the COVID season where it was like their third game of the year. So it's been a very consistent trend with this Maryland team where they start the year strong. They look like they're going to be good. Maybe this is the year Maryland finally is a you know contender. And then they always just seem to fade at the end of a season. And, and some of that has to do with a level of competition. I mean, you look at their first two months of a season, the teams they beat were Buffalo, Charlotte, SMU, Michigan State, Indiana, and Northwestern. Not exactly a murderer's row of opponents there. So now you're playing Wisconsin and Penn State. Those are better teams. It, it makes it tougher. But it clearly, especially on the offensive side of a ball, things have trended in the wrong direction here for Maryland's offense. When we think about that 2018 game, well, the big difference is Ohio State's 2018 defense was really bad. This year's defense has been really good. And so I do think it's fair to say that, you know, even with the struggles the last couple of weeks, this could be a somewhat tougher test for the defense because Ohio State just hasn't played, you know, many, many offenses that are, are very good this year. I mean, most of them are ranked in the bottom half of the country. And so uh, I still think like this is a bit of a step up in competition for Ohio State's defense, but the way Maryland's offense has looked the last two weeks, you you would think Ohio State's defense should be capable of shutting them down. It was an interesting quote, though, by, by Mike Loxley on Tuesday, who said, there's nothing more dangerous than a desperate man that has nothing to lose. That's kind of where we are. They've got everything to lose. They've got a big game after ours. And, you know, that, that's the exact one I was talking about. There were a lot of questions to Ryan Day on Tuesday were about how do you stay focused on this Maryland game when you have the Michigan game uh, coming up? And I think you know, that's obviously what Mike Loxley is talking about there. The fact that there is a, a a dark cloud over over this one because Ohio State knows it has its stiffest test of the season, certainly on paper, coming up right after Maryland. Um, but Dan, it doesn't sound like you're, you're, you've been talked into a Maryland upset in this one, despite that 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 spooky quote from Mike Loxley there. So, you know, has it set, uh, favored by 27 and a half in this one. What is your score prediction and do the Buckeyes cover that spread? Yeah, I've gone back and forth from this one because, you know, to Loxley's point, I I don't expect Ohio State's best football this week. Like last week, I was very confident Ohio State would win big because I felt like they're going to have a point to prove after what happened at Northwestern. I don't expect Ohio State's best football this week because I think the, the shadow of next week's game against Michigan is now looming larger. You know, my feeling is going back on the road for the third time in four weeks. 
I don't know that we're going to see Ohio State's sharpest performance in this game, but I think the way Maryland has been playing, there's still no reason to think that Maryland should be able to pull off the upset in this game or really even come close. But, you know, if Maryland's going to have a chance in this game, it's going to be because their offense is able to attack Ohio State's defense in ways that other opponents haven't been able to. And while I still think that that capability may be there, I mean, with the exception of Penn State, who we saw put up 31 points on Ohio State, they're not playing like it right now. So they're going to have to, you know, we just, you know, we don't know, maybe, maybe Talia will be much healthier this week and he'll be capable of, of doing more things than he's done the last couple of weeks. But the way they've been playing doesn't make me think that, you know, we're going to see, you know, this game turn into the kind of shootout that I think Maryland would need to make it to have a real chance to win this game. And so I'm going to say with the current spread of 27 and a half, I'm going to say Ohio State barely covers and I'm going to go 45 to 17 Ohio State. There you go, Dan. I'm going to say that Ohio State does not cover a heavy 21 point Ohio State victory, 41 to 20 for kind of the the similar reasons that you just stated there, which is just that, you know, I I could see Ohio State having an, an off game and, you know, if in Indiana putting up 14 in Ohio State defense, I don't think it's that far of a stretch to say that Maryland, you know, if they play better than they have in the last couple of weeks, could put up 20 on the Ohio State defense. And that, you know, even if it won't be Ohio State's best performance, they'll still get the job done by 21, although not enough to cover that spread. No matter what happens this weekend, next week's game will decide the Big Ten East. Ohio State and Michigan, they, they both have wins over Penn State. And so no matter what happens this weekend, Ohio State versus Michigan is going to decide the Big Ten East next weekend. Assuming Ohio State beats Maryland and Michigan beats Illinois, it will be the first matchup of two 11-0 teams in the game since the 2006 quote-unquote game of the century. And so uh, the stakes could not be higher uh, for next week's game. Uh, And certainly I think build up to that is going to be quite something next week. And uh, we'll have a lot to to talk about with that game next week. But, you know, as we kind of look at the outlook, you know, of, 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 you know, the postseason right now, you know, I think the more interesting thing to talk about for this week is, is the Big Ten West because Purdue did beat Illinois on Saturday, handing Illinois its second straight loss. And now the Big Ten West is in a four-way tie with Purdue, Illinois, Iowa, and Minnesota all tied at four and three. And so, obviously, you know, we can't assume Ohio State's going to beat Michigan right now. We'll have to see what happens next week. But just for hypothetical purposes, we assume Ohio State beats Michigan and there's you know, they're going to the Big Ten championship game in two weeks. Who do you think will be representing the West in Indianapolis. Well, yeah, Dan, if you look at the remaining schedules here, Purdue with just Northwestern and Indiana remaining, of course, those are Ohio State's most recent two opponents. So we've gotten an up close and personal look at both of those teams. I'm not going to sit here and tell you I'm I'm very impressed with Northwestern or Indiana, despite the fact that, you know, we've seen Purdue lose some games it was supposed to win in the past, in the recent past. Um, So nothing is guaranteed in those two matchups. At the same time, when you compare it to the schedules of teams like Illinois 
you know, Iowa and Minnesota, Illinois having uh, Mich- Michigan coming up this week, of course, that that does not look like a win for Illinois, although, you know, perhaps it could be closer than some people think. Um, Iowa with Minnesota and Nebraska on the schedule, Minnesota versus Iowa has Iowa and, and Wisconsin left. So if, if you're just going on the schedules there, I feel like I have to say that I think Purdue is going to, to make it out of the West there. Yeah, that would be my pick as well. Certainly Purdue going to be favored to win both of those games. I mean, it's it's wild. Like Iowa's like got a shot at this thing. Like I think, you know, if, if Purdue slips up, like Iowa's got a shot at this thing. Now, I'm also not confident Iowa will beat Minnesota this weekend. I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if, if Minnesota wins that game and, you know, Minnesota, that could put, you know, Minnesota back in info. You know, Purdue, I think Purdue having those tiebreakers over Illinois and Minnesota and what I'd say is the weakest schedule left of these teams uh, puts them in a really good spot. You know, it seemed like, you know, it had been Illinois to lose until this past weekend. And and now it feels like Illinois, you know, they're in a tough spot because they're, they're going to have to, they're going to have to upset Michigan on the road this week to really have a shot. And I not can't rule anything out, but uh, I, I don't think that's particularly likely, especially I think, you know, Chase Brown is dealing with an injury uh, after getting hurt. Uh, in last week's game. And so I, I think Illinois is going to be hard pressed to win that game. And so, yeah, I think, I, I think the Boilermakers going to Indy looks like the most likely outcome right now. Dan, we're t- if you talk about the CFP race right now, obviously that is heating up with, you know, just a couple weeks to go here. And of course, as soon as I put my, my faith in Oregon with, with last week's picks, just because so I, I think I specifically said, not, I don't feel good about Oregon's you know, chances to win out. It just makes the most sense. It, it, would, it would make the most sense all the way around with the four that I picked last week. So, of course, Oregon has to go out and lose, which, you know, definitely takes a, a chunk out of the Pac-12's chances to now, you know, secure a CFP berth because USC still has a, a decent chance, certainly, to make the playoff. Um, but, and they do have they do have two ranked opponents, I believe, on their, their regular season schedule that could, theoretically help boost their resume as well. But at the same time, then you just have another one loss um, conference champion. It'd be in the same ballpark as a, a, a Clemson potentially, if Clemson were to do the same thing there in the ACC. And then you still have conversations even beyond that with teams like Tennessee, if they went out uh, the, the Ohio state, Michigan loser, a one loss team, you know, th- that wouldn't be a, a conference champion, but their only loss same in, in the, in the case of Tennessee would be to, you know, one of the top two teams in the country pretty much there. So, Dan, what do you kind of make out of all this? And do you have any um, changes to how your top four teams, your, your your CFP predictions will play out? Yeah, I think to the point on USC, I, I think USC will be in if it wins out. I just don't think it's going to win out. I think you said two more ranked opponents to close regular season in UCLA and Notre Dame and then would have a third in the Pac-12 championship game. I, I don't. I'm, I, I'm, I don't see USC winning all three of those games. I think uh, their defense has been suspect to where I, I think it's more likely. You know, I, I'd probably pick USC to win the Pac-12 right now, but I think it's more likely USC loses one of those games. And so I think if they win out, they'll be in. But I, I think that that's going to be a, a tough task for USC. And so, you know, when I look at it right now, I mean, I, you know, I, I, I still say like the three teams I'm most confident in, like our Georgia, the Ohio State Michigan winner, which I'm still saying I think is going to be Ohio State and and Tennessee. I think those are you know the three teams I'm I'm most confident will make it. But I am going to make a change this week. I said Clemson last week just because I thought enough chaos would happen in front of them. I'm going to put TCU in there this week because 
you look at TCU's schedule. Like I, I'm still not sold on TCU, but you know, they have two games that, you know, they, they, at least on paper, they should be favored to win against Baylor and Iowa state, you know, and they'll have another tough game in a big 12 championship game. But, you know, I look at it and say, okay, like they could still lose a game and potentially still get in. And so, you know, I feel like just playing the odds right now, I feel like TCU probably, you know, has the best odds of those other teams to make it. In. Like, I'm, I'm definitely not sold that TCU is going to win out, but I still feel like, you know, they've got a margin for error, which, you know, Clemson does not, you know, North Carolina does not, USC does not. You know, I think it'd be, I think it'd be an interesting question if TCU loses a game, where do they end up in this thing? Like, could the loser of Ohio State, Michigan, get in over one loss TCU? Maybe. You know, I I, I think Tennessee probably would. Um, that'll be an interesting conversation if it comes down to it. I you know, right now I I I do lean toward the likelihood that the Ohio State Michigan loser is going to be left out. I do think Ohio State would have a better case than Michigan, and I think one thing that would certain certainly helps Ohio State's case in that scenario is the fact that Ohio State has beaten Notre Dame and both of those ACC teams have lost Notre Dame. And so I think Ohio State would have a strong case to get in over a one-loss ACC champ. I don't know about Michigan because of their weak non-conference schedule, but I, I think Ohio State would have a strong case to get in at least over a one-loss ACC champ. I, I don't think Ohio State you know, or, or Michigan loser would get in over a one-loss Pac-12 champ USC. I would lean toward a one-loss Big 12 champ TCU getting in over them as well, although that one I'm less confident in. You know what, Dan? Uh, Oregon's out. I'm taking USC. I want everyone to get a seat <laughs> at the table. I, you know, I feel like I'm an equal opportunity type of guy. I want as many conferences as possible in that mix there in the CFP. You know, it's been a long time for the Pac-12, certainly. Uh, TCU never been before. So I'm going with those four, with the other two being Georgia and Ohio State, although I do still, the Michigan matchup, Looming larger and larger by the day, I, I would certainly say. Um, but yeah, those are the four I'm rolling with, Dan. Ohio State men's basketball, another blowout win for the Buckeyes over Charleston Southern. Last week, did you learn anything from that? Um, what did I learn, Dan? I mean, Zed Key dominated inside as he should have against a team like that. I think Ohio State had a better rebounding performance. It was some pretty neat stats for Zed Key, who had a double-double in the first half alone. He was the first player to do that since Caleb Wesson three years ago to the day of that that game against Charleston Southern. And he also, Key did, but became the first um, player. He joined a list, a prestigious list of players for Ohio State, which includes Evan Turner, Jared Sullinger, and Keita Bates-Diop, I believe, as the only players to start a season um, with back-to-back double-doubles since 2004, I believe was the list. And um, so Zed Key keeps on rolling. Um, I think one thing we've kind of, we've kind of learned is that I think it could be a different guy every game kind of feel for this Ohio State team early on in terms of Justice Suing had a huge game in the first one, was certainly more quiet in this one. Bryce Sensabaugh has put up a, a lot of points. Um, it seems like there's guys that are capable of a big night and then you know kind of a quieter night, even if it doesn't hurt the team per se. Um, that's what I'd say I would learn, I guess, most, Dan, from that one. Ohio State's, really, I guess, Ohio State's shooting performances have have been really good to start the season out, um, even the, the exhibition as well. They, they caught fire late um, against Charleston Southern. They, they really 
were, were knocking down shots the entire time, um, even if they weren't quite as good in the, at the end there as they were at the beginning. Ohio State back on the floor on Wednesday night against Eastern Illinois, uh, 7 p.m. BTN, Eastern Illinois. I think one of the worst teams in the country in, in Ken Palm. So it really should be another blowout. Nothing is nothing is ever a given, but uh, it really should be another blowout win for Ohio State before their first real tests of the season come next week when they will play uh, three games in Maui. And that will certainly be interesting as Ohio State will start there against San Diego State and then we'll play uh, two other you know higher major teams as well. So that'll be our fir- the first real tests for the Buckeyes this season. And we'll see how they do out there in Hawaii. Two other Ohio State teams that I want to give shout-outs to this week. Ohio State women's basketball off to an excellent start. Beat fifth-ranked Tennessee in the season opener. Also beat Boston College on Sunday. Now ranked eighth in the country. And, and how's this for a stat? The Buckeyes have forced 65 turnovers in two games. As, as of a time of recording, as they had the highest average among teams that had played multiple games. That full court press defense that they run is legit. Like they they run it the whole game, and and so far they they've been causing nightmares for their opponents. So I'm I'm really intrigued by this team. I, I think you know that's a team that has Final Four aspirations, and it's, it's only two games of the year, so we don't want to get ahead of ourselves. But uh, the way they're playing right now, they they look like a real contender, and I think they're going to be a lot of fun to watch this year. Yeah, we knew that the guard play was going to be huge for that team this year. And it sounded like uh, J.C. Sheldon the other day, Dan, what was it? 11, 11 steals, steals tied a school record. Yeah, so it sounds like you know, that that recipe has definitely been working out for Ohio State you know, early on in terms of the, the women's team there. Dan, how about the Ohio State women's volleyball team as well? 14 straight wins, most recently beating Nebraska and now tied with Wisconsin um, for the Big Ten lead, ranked number five in the country. Yeah, and Ohio State plays Wisconsin actually on November 26th in their regular season finale. So a, a big day of Buckeye sports in Columbus that day with, uh, of course, the game coming up at noon that day. And then I believe it's at 7 p.m. Ohio State will play Wisconsin, which if the standings remain as they are, uh, Big Ten title will be on the line there as well as uh, those Buckeyes, another team that I think has Final Four championship kind of aspirations the way they're playing uh, is, is having a great year. So those are going to be two more teams to watch here for Ohio State as uh, both of those teams are playing at a really high level right now. Ohio State football gets back to action on Saturday, 3.30 p.m. on ABC out in College Park, Maryland. Griffin and I will be there. Garrick will be there as well. And we will have lots of coverage coming your way on 11warriors.com. So uh, check out all of our coverage on there. And we will be back next week for Rivalry Week as we prepare for what I think is going to be the most anticipated uh, game in quite some time for Ohio State as the Buckeyes look to avenge last year's loss in Ann Arbor. So uh, check back in with us next week. Thanks for listening in, and we'll talk to you soon.